well again a good morning and good to see you on this Lord's Day. <clears throat> you ever have those times that uh, you're overwhelmed? by what the Lord has done for us. It fall, <clears throat> falls upon deaf ears. Even in our own lives at times, we take for granted what the Lord has <clears throat> accomplished for us. <clears throat> Talking to... Uh, my nephew this week who was struggling with doctrines of grace and his wife as well. He keeps sending me videos of againsters which YouTube's full of, right? Yeah. In fact, you can find YouTube full of any againster you want, yeah. right? So, I finally asked him, why do you keep sending me this stuff? You're not going to change my mind. And, and I get it. I get it. I get what that means. But I think at the core, for many, It's not the sovereignty of God that they may or may not be dealing with. It's the depth of the sinfulness of man. He asked me, do you believe in double predestination? I said, why would there need to be? I said, your question leads to ask you're implying that man stands guiltless before God and for whatever reason God says you're saved, you're not you're saved, you're not that's not what scripture says at all man stands what before God? guilty, Guilty. why would he need to predestine them? that's where they're headed that's where we're going apart from Christ The text that we find ourselves in is actually just just the last, uh, really beginning in verse 9, I asked Bob to read. Let me pick up there in 2 Corinthians, Colossians 2, verse 9. For in Him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him. In other words, verse 9, the fullness of deity is complete in Him. Yeah. So all of it's in Him. Same definition, for in you, you have been filled. You have made, been made complete in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands but putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism in which you also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you, who were 
dead in your trespasses. How much faith does a dead person have? Not much, right? The better answer is not any. And the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Father, we pray that we'll see this in all of its glory. That we don't damage the picture here that the Holy Spirit through Paul's pen so beautifully describes for us of the completeness of our salvation. We are in Him. There's no need now for philosophy or vain deceit or or any such thing. There's no need now to add to it some baptism or dietary laws or some Sabbath day. There's no need to add any of that because we're complete in you. So Father, give give us ears to hear today. To the praise and honor of your grace, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm actually going to start with my conclusion. That's always a good thing. Verse 15. Triumphing over them. So much of the Scripture is caught up in its original language illustrations that we really don't have anything to draw from. You think of not having the Old Testament as a background for us to understand the pictures of the old realized in the new. But even in Paul's illustration, he's borrowing from the culture of the day. People understood what he meant when he used such words as triumphing. We got, you know, you might be thinking of a motorcycle. Okay? Um, you may think of some type of victory. That was not in the hearing of these Colossians ears, nor in the church at Corinth either, where the other, only other time this illustration is used. If you lived during the Romans' times, Early on, you may have seen two or three of these triumphs, whatever they are, in the course of a year. The longer it existed, uh, because of the qualifications that had to be met, the less frequent they became, just because there wasn't much more world to conquer. And there had to be requirements that had to be met for a triumph even to be observed. For someone to get a triumph... They had to have several qualifications. This is the highest honor of the country. Um, new territory had to be established. It couldn't be reclaiming territory that was, that was taken before and you gained back. had to be new territory had to be added to the kingdom. The soldiers, if you were a general, and this would be the who that they would honor, the, the general that they would honor, the soldiers 
would have to agree among themselves that the general that led them was duty bound or was was in a position to receive such an honor. And they would send message back to Rome. And it would become before the senators in Rome. Now, there was a barrier, and I'm not going to attempt the name of it, but let's call it the city limits of Rome, all right? That soldiers were not allowed to cross in their garb. In other words, when you crossed into the city limits, if you were a general, you were an and a civilian once you crossed over. There were no armed forces inside the city of Rome. Okay? And so the senators, we would hear this vote from the, from the, from the soldiers, we conquered new territory, we've got all this, this stuff, and they would call the senators outside the city limits to meet with this general. They gave him a name from which the word emperor comes from. Now this is one of the reasons we find less of those later on. Not only not new territory, it was a threat to the emperor that was on the throne for somebody else to be given even a surname that he had. By the way, Caesar's was not giving one of these. So the senators would come out and, and meet with him. And they would, they would meet and it may take days, it may take weeks for this to happen as they examined him and examined the orders and examined the, the treasures and examined all of this it could take weeks and then only then would the senators vote and then it had to come before another board inside the Roman government for them to agree that a triumph would be given. On that day of triumph it was a, literally a holiday. All the schools were let out. Everybody was set free. The city was decorated like you wouldn't believe. Everybody poured out. In fact, they would end up in the Colosseum, which they said, said that seats, if it was today, somewhere around 160,000 people could cram in that, in that theater, in that arena today. That's where they would march into and then finally end up back at the temple. I've got some disagreement among people. Some say it's a three-day thing. Some said it was a three-day thing, but only this part only took one day, so I don't know which one it was. And if, you, if I hadn't have told you that, I could have told you anything and you'd have believed me. So, so whatever. But it wasn't three stages. Now, some says each stage was a day. Maybe in. Stage one was wagons would come in. They would come right down Main Street. In fact, one nutcase decided he wanted his chariot, and I'll get to the chariots in just a moment, to be led by elephants. They found out they couldn't squeeze them through the city. So they had to get them out and get the four white horses that were required. So, but they would have, the, the wagons would come. And in those wagons, the first wagons that would come, and this is why it takes days to do this, there would be murals, paintings on the back of those wagons picturing the exotic territory that they just acquired. And so they would have artists paint these pictures at the, at the, at the, uh, uh, at the uh, information of the, of the emperor and the soldiers. And they'd tell them about the, all the exotic places in the waterfalls. And, all the, and so they'd sketch all this beautiful, this, it's all propaganda. Just to get everybody to say, man, look how great we are. 
And they paint all these pictures and, and they bring all these, uh, all these pictures of this great things. And then behind them there would be exotic animals that they would bring. See, it's an exotic place with these exotic animals. And even though they may, have not in, may, may not have even been part of it, they love to have elephants and giraffes because just they're exotic. That's what they look like. And so that was one of the favorite ones, whether or not it applied to whether they were going or not. But it still symbolized this, this great issue of propaganda, these battles. And then there would be pictures of the wars that went on that they won. And the great victor as he championed over them. And then there would be the foreign monarch. In chains. As his family and soldiers would be aligned with them, behind them. And you can imagine the cheers from the crowd as they were coming through the through the town. And, and by the way, we find out from Second Corinthians that there was an aroma going up. And what was the aroma coming from? Well, the aroma was coming from the flowers that were being thrown down. And it'd be rose petals or whatever flowers. And you can imagine there was a dual smell to that. To those that are of Rome and the smell of victory. Boy, that, that smell going up. Man, we got another triumph. Our kingdom's enlarged. We've conquered these people. This is a great smell. How did that smell to the foreign king? Because at the end of this walk, they were all killed and massacred. It was an aroma of death. I don't sidebar to that. I can go in a. You can, I think you could blindfold me and take me in a funeral home, and I tell you where I am. Smell the flowers inside outside a funeral home are different than the smells at a at a a nursery somewhere, aren't they? Okay, all right. But if it's not your parent in there, it's got a different smell to it. You know, oh, isn't that, that's a beautiful flower as long as it's not my dad. I'm, oh, that's a beautiful flower. You're not a pretty flower. That's not what you're thinking when you're standing in line because we know what that flower means. Yeah. Okay? All right? So for those that were being marched and crushing these petals underfoot, in his book... Let me read this from... Kent Hughes. Great scaffolds were erected in a forum in the boulevards of Rome for the spectators' seating, and all of Rome turned out dressed in fabulous festival white. On the first day, 259 chariots displayed in, in a procession the statues and the pictures and, and the colossal items from the enemy. On the second day, you can tell he goes for the three day thing. On the second day, the innumerable wagons bore the armor of the Macedonians. Following the wagons came 3,000 carrying the enemy's cups and vessels and treasures. They would come because they had taken the spoils of war. On the third day, the captives proceeded from 120 sacrificed sacrificial oxen with their horns gilded and their heads adorned with ribbons and garlands. Next, Macedonian gold, then the, the captured king's chariot and crown and armor. Then the king's servants weeping with their hands stretched out, begging the crowds for mercy. 
Then the king of Persia himself, using as an example, clad entirely in black, followed by endless prisoners. And finally came the victorious general, seated on a chariot, adorned, magnificently adorned, dressed in a robe of purple, because purple was the color of royalty, interwoven with gold and holding a, a laurel branch on his right hand, all the armies in like manner with laurels in their heads divided into bands and companies followed the chariots and their commanders. They sang uh, songs, and they're not songs that you'd want to repeat. Right. Right. They, were, they were songs of ugly soldiers who were making mockery of what they took and using crass language to do it. Follow the chariot of the commander, some singing according to, us, uh, to customs of triumph and, and praise. In the death, burial, listen, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, God the Father achieved a victory over the evil powers of this world, making a public spectacle of them. And He wants to see that through, though they still exist, they are. Defeated. Look at our text. Look at verse 15 with me. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Let me remind you real quick where we've been. We've looked, first of all, that our salvation is complete in Christ alone. Verse 9 and verse 10, that you've been filled in Him. Secondly, not only that, but we looked last time at a concluding time in verse 13 and 14 that our forgiveness in Christ is complete. Not only is our salvation complete apart from religious ritual, but also it is complete apart from human work. Our condition, dead in our trespasses, according to Ephesians 2, we're, we're a corpse. We are unbelievers. We exist in a, an arena of spiritual death. We're devoid of any sense. We are unable to respond to God according to Romans 3. In fact, go back there with me. Romans chapter 3 reminds you, as I did my nephew this week, let's make sure we paint the picture of man as the Scriptures paints man. In Romans 3, the text that we often read, beginning in verse 9, Romans 3 verse 9, What then? Are we Jews any better off? Not at all. We have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have born un- become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those that are under law, so that every mouth may be stopped and, and the whole world might be held accountable, or your version may say, guilty to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, seeing through this law becomes the knowledge of sin. Well, that's our condition. We are uncircumcised in the flesh. We are outside the covenants, according to Ephesians chapter 2. We're spiritual corpses 
unable to respond, unwanting to respond. Someone said that that for all have sinned, we're missing the mark, and that's true. We are missing marks. It's a picture of a, a guy shooting an arrow at the target. Here's the problem with the picture. Not only are we not hitting the mark, we're not aiming at the mark. Yeah. That's not what we're aiming at at all. But we find in Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God, He made us alive. He brought life. He, he gave us life. We were hopelessly dead in our sins, unable to respond, but He made us alive. He initiated the salvation process. No man have the power to save himself in spiritual life any more than a corpse does to give himself spiritual, physical life. But in Him, we have forgiveness of sin. Our forgiveness is complete. Reminding us that forgiveness, as we see in the Scriptures, number one, is not earned. It's a gift, according to Romans 3 and Titus 3. Number two, it's complete. All. Every. In fact, look, look with me at verse, um, <clears throat> verse 13. Last, last four words, I think, five words of, of verse 13. Having forgiving how many of our trespasses? All of them. All in the Greek means all. Okay, All of our trespasses. So is the forgiveness that we have from God is, is a gift. It's not earned. It's complete. We don't need to add anything to it. It's complete. It's for all of our sins. At, at the point of Christ's death, how many of our sins were future? All of them. All right. So He died. We find three that in this forgiveness that God is eager to forgive. He's ready to forgive. He wants to forgive. Number four, we find out that this forgiveness is certain. You can count on it. Because it's based upon God's promises. God never lies, does He? He's not a liar. Number five, there's no such thing, there's no other such forgiveness this is a forgiveness that's unique. It's, it's unqualified. Who is God? Who is God? Who is like he, thee? Who pardoned iniquity and passes over the rebellious act, the remnant of his possession. And then sixthly, we looked at also that this forgiveness is also not only all those, but it's an example, it's a motivation to us. As the Heavenly Father has forgiven you your trespasses, you're to give your brothers how much? All their trespasses. Right? That's what forgiveness is. It showed, it showed me when, when God forgave me, in verse 14, it, he, he, he did it by canceling, blotting out, erasing, obliterating the debt. And the record of the debt. The certificate of death, of debt. Something written on, on a, 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 either a book or in a scroll, but bore the autograph of the one who owed it. It is a IOU. And as we read about Martin Luther, as he said, scroll after scroll after scroll of his sin was read. And every one of them bore the mark of his signature, I am guilty. And God, yet God forgives us, canceling the record of that debt that stood against us. A signed confession of debt, your, your sin and mine piled up as a debt to God. We also looked at that we owe God for that debt. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ Lord. Someone has to pay. It's not that God just wipes it off. It's someone paid that sin debt for you. You're either going to pay it or Christ paid your sin debt for you. 
It will destroy us. It will condemn us. And we can't pay the debt, can we? But not only the debt, but it's legal demands. It's the stuff that was set up against us. What the law required of us to be put to death for those sins. To be eternally separated from God. That's what the law required. He's forgiven us. He canceled it. He wiped it out. He rubbed it out. The payments were made full and final. How? By nailing it to the cross. Not a trace of it remains. Perfect tense. The permanence of the removal. In that atonement, Christ canceled the debt that you and I owed. His debt covered, erased all my trespasses, past, present, and future by mailing it to the cross for a debt that I could not pay. But lastly, this salvation is not only in Christ is complete, not only is our forgiveness in Christ complete, but our triumph in Christ is complete. Look at verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. He disarmed them. He stripped them. Not only did God wipe out the written record of our indebtedness to Him, and not only did He take away the record entirely away between Himself and us, by nailing it to the cross, He made a public display of the demonic forces that used to record that indebtedness that occurred to enslave us. Wow. Look over at Hebrews. Well, let me turn here. Hebrews chapter 6. The only other time the words used is Hebrews chapter 6. In verse 6. Hebrews 6 and verse 6. And fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucified once again the Son of God to open harm and holding Him up to contempt. There it is. In our text in Colossians, Christ is making a public exhibition of the vanquished forces. Not just a proclamation, but a public display of His triumphal procession over them. It says not only did He disarm them, but He put them to open shame. Public in openness. It's outspoken. It's the frankness. It's the plainness of speech that cancels nothing and passes over nothing. Three things He... He spoiled them. He disarmed them. Look over at chapter 1. Look at verse 16. Talking about the rulers of this age. This has already been brought up before. Chapter 1. Look at verse 16. For by Him all things created in heaven, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Chapter 2, verse 10 uses it there as well. And you have been filled with Him who is the head of all authority, rule and authority. He's over all. He put it off. He stripped them of their evil powers. This is a record again of the fulfillment of Genesis 3, isn't it? Where in Genesis 3 we find that, that prophecy, that uh, in Genesis 3, I'll say it correctly. Verse 16, I will surely put, uh, multiply your pain and childbearing. 
No, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he will bruise your head and you shall crush or bruise his heel. There it is. We're in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. The writer there, Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is, you might remember, that is the devil. And delivered all those through fear of, of death or subject to a lifetime of slavery. He destroyed them that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. I think sometimes we forget that Satan is a defeated foe. He will be defeated. He's already defeated. He can still do damage, can't he? In fact, he still is doing damage. 1 Peter chapter um, chapter 5, I think it is, in verse Verse 8, be sober, mindful, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, sinking someone to devour. He's still active, but he is a defeated foe. We know how the story ends, don't we? In Revelation chapter 20, the writer here reminds us the devil who had been deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophets were, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. That's the defeated foe. That is his ultimate death. That is his ultimate being destroyed. Not only did he open them to open shame, not only did he spoil them, he displayed them. Look back at our text in Colossians. He put them to open shame. He, he showed them overly. He displayed them. He published them. He, per, he proclaimed them. Jesus was not shy about his victory, was he? He conquered death, hell, and the grave. Thirdly, He triumphed over them. This is where we get the word. These captives, these aliens, these people in chains as they were brought forth. Look over with me. I mentioned this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It's the only other time this, is, this illustration is used. In 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2. I'll start our reading in verse 12. 2 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 12. And when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. And so I, I took my leave of them and went to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of a knowledge of Him Everywhere, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. Stop there. You can imagine you're a believer and Paul's coming in town and what encouragement that is that Paul's finally come to, to visit and he's going he's to give us some truth. But what if you were the enemy? What if you knew what Paul could do? 
what was Paul signed in? It was, again, the, the contrast between the, the roses of your wedding and the flowers of death to them. The fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. Isn't the gospel sweet to us that know the gospel? Yes. When we hear in, in Zimbabwe or Spain or wherever that we our, our missionaries are, and we hear of the, the spread of the gospel, and we hear people are, are coming in faith to know Him, what joy creates in our hearts. Man, I've got another brother and sister in the Lord. And it's interesting, I, we could take you, and again, this doesn't necessarily apply to southern Africa where we go, but in some of that you would, we could take you and meet, you could meet brothers and sisters there that, that they don't speak much English. I promise you, as a brother and sister in Christ, you'll find a way to communicate. Yes. You'll know real quick. You'll know real quick whether that's a brother and sister in Christ. Boy, that gospel is such a sweet aroma. You think of the songs of Zion for us. When we sing songs like Amazing Grace, or even the, even the songs that we sang earlier about in Christ alone, and we see His work, and we, we champion that, we, 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 we look at that with just joy. It brings such a, a sweet smell to us. But to those that are perishing, not so much. Verse 16, To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like, like so many peddlers of God's word. For as men are sincere as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Back to our, our text. Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse 15 again. He disarmed the rulers and authority and put them to saying by triumphing over them in Him. Listen, our salvation is absolutely complete. As he's battling here, teaching the Colossians, those that came from the Greek and, and the Roman mind were, were, were going back and trying to pull up, okay, Christ is, is sufficient for here. He's sufficient for the forgiveness of my sins. But I, I need to go back and I, I need to add these other ones back in. I need to bring in the philosophy. I, I need to bring in these plausible arguments. I need to bring in this, 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 these human traditions, the elementary spirits. I need to add those back in. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Christ is sufficient. And for the Jew, if you're truly born again, if you, if you know Christ, you've got to go back and you've got to, you've got to do the circumcision. We've got to go back and grab the days. We've got to go back and grab the, the dietary laws because Christ can only get you so far. And Paul is saying Christ gets you all the way. Yes. There is nothing outside of Him. Our salvation is absolutely complete in Him. Our forgiveness is absolutely complete in Him. And our victory is absolutely complete in Him. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers against authorities, against cosmic powers in this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the armor of God that you may be able to stand against in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand firm. Stand therefore, having your fastened on your belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as your shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of grace. 
gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith of which you've been extinguished, all the fiery darts of the evil one, and taking the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always in all times in the Spirit, which all prayer and supplication to the end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that the words may be given to me to open my mouth, boldly proclaim the mysteries of the gospel. What mysteries of the gospel? That in Christ, in Christ alone, our salvation is complete. That in Christ and in Christ alone, our forgiveness is absolutely complete. You don't have to add to it. It's absolutely complete. He forgives us all our trespasses in Him. And in the end, and even before the end, we win. Now, I'm like you. I look at this world and it's, it's, it's going to hell in a handbasket, right? I, I never thought that I'd live to see the, the downfall that I've even seen in the last three years. It seems like it's gone over a cliff in the last three years. So it's a, sort of been on that plane for a while, but it's just like it's dropped over the cliff. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. But just understand, listen, in Christ we have the victory. Satan has no power over you. He's been defeated. He's a defeated foe. And yes, he's, a, he, he's the snake that's been wounded, that's curled up in the corner, and he's going to strike at everything he can. And he's going to, he's going to create havoc. But he cannot defeat Christ. Yes. He is all and in all. The death of Christ brings transformation. I'm a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become what? New. Yeah, I'm, I'm now in Him. I'm complete in Him. You've been filled in Him who's the head and the ruler. Who is He? Well, we find out in verse chapter 1, verse 17, He's before all things. And in Him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything He might be preeminent. He doesn't share His preeminence with anybody or anyone. In Him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who were once alien and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Think of that. I've gone from being an enemy. I've gone from being a hater of God. I've gone, I've gone from being the... the, the I, I, I belong to Satan. I either belong to God or belong to Satan. There is no middle ground. You either belong to one or the other. I'm, I'm a slave to sin. And now, through Him, I've been reconciled to Him. I'm no longer alien. I'm no longer hostile in mind. He's reconciled in His body of flesh in order to present me Holy? Whose holiness? Not mine. My holiness is as what? My righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. I have none. But He has it all. Present you holy and blameless. How does He do that? So I was talking to my nephew. So I said, you gotta get you gotta get the depravity of man right. 
but nobody knows me better than I know me. If you, if you knew what an individual person sitting in here dealt with in their thought life or what they were in the past, you wouldn't want to sit on the same row with them. And your elders are no, no exempt from that. Right? But I'm now blameless before you. Not of my blamelessness, but because of His. And above reproach before Him. Why? Because I'm in Christ. If indeed you continue in the faith, verse 23, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which you've been proclaimed, all creation under heaven, which I, Paul, become a minister. Look at, down at verse 26, the mystery hidden from the ages of generation, but now revealed to the saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What? Which is what? Christ in you. The hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we present everyone mature in Christ. So our salvation is complete. And the death of Christ brings transformation. I'm not, I'm not what I used to be. I'm not all I'm going to be. But I praise God I'm not what I used to be. But I've been, I've been redeemed. I've been in Him. I've been transformed. I've been, I've been pardoned. Set free. On death row. Mm-hmm. Set free. And given the victory in Christ and in Christ alone. In Galatians chapter 6, don't turn to it. But far be it from me to boast. Except in the Christ, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. If we've got anything to brag about, it's not us. It's Him and Him alone. Do you know Him like that? Do do you know that Christ in the Scriptures? Do you understand that your salvation is absolutely complete, that it's in Christ and Christ alone? That you understand that your forgiveness... And I run across people, even here, you think you've got to play God some penance. You've got to play something to earn God's favor again. I'm not talking about repentance. I'm not talking about uh, of exercising godliness in our life. But it's like we've got to earn His favor back. And God says, I've forgiven you all of your trespasses. Yes. And some of you don't live from victory to victory. And I'm one of those. God puts me, I'm I'm the only one like this, God puts me in circumstances that not only reveal you can't fix it, if you could, and if you could, you'd do wrong to fix it. You ever done that? You ever been, you ever begin, you think, boy, Lord, if I was doing this, this is how I'd fix it. And then God fixes it, and it's not the way that you did it at all, only to understand that if you had fixed it, 
it had been a worse mess than it was when you started. Praise God for His unanswered prayers, right? Yeah. Okay. Some of you don't live in victory. He's conquered it. He's conquered it. Greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. Father, we pause just to breathe. To understand what we have in you. That in you we we, we don't need anything else. We're complete in you. Father, to understand that our forgiveness is absolutely complete. You've forgiven us all of our trespasses, even with its legal demands nailing them to the cross. All of them. Father, we have victory. Satan has no power over us. He, he can only he can only get to us to the extent that you allow him to do. He's an instrument in your hands. Father, I'm afraid even in the sound of my voice this morning there are those that still, they don't live in victory. And part of it, they're still dealing with their sin. They're still dealing with a a sin issue in their life that, Lord, they have yet to what it comes down to is surrender and submit to the authority of your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that brings conviction not only of, of to a sinner of his need of a Savior, but Father, for us as believers that the Holy Spirit lives in us. The, the writer of the book sits down with us every time we open the pages of sacred text. He is our instructor. He is our teacher. Thank you for your work of grace in our hearts that you won't leave us alone, but you're perfecting us. You're you're changing us from moment to moment, from situation to situation. And then, Father, that we have victory in you. Satan is defeated. And one day he'll be defeated forever. Until then, Lord, help us to remember we serve a risen Lord. We serve a conquering King. We serve Jesus Christ and Him alone. Father, if there's one here today that doesn't know You as Lord and Savior and treasure of their life, they're looking for some other place for their salvation. Lord, would You bring them to the end of themselves? Would You bring new life into a dead corpse. Would you awaken them from the dead and give them the faith to believe that they would cry out in that faith that you provide, Lord, I need a Savior. Father, for us that know you, I pray that we live in that kind of victory. We live in that kind of, uh, that kind of attitude that in Christ we are absolutely complete in Him. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the truth of it. And, and Father, as we are 
in, in this week, I pray that this text won't get out of our heads. That we'll rest there to understand what we have in Christ. And Father, just like the Colossians, those of the Greek and the Roman mind trying to add Christ back into some philosophy, but like the Jews trying to add some kind of legalism onto Christ, for them and all of us to realize that in Christ, it is in Christ alone. He's all I need. Thank you, Father, for your work of grace upon grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.